Okay, we are in Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. This is the uh, third of the conflicts that Mark addresses in Mark chapter 2. Uh, we can see them as, as five conflicts that Jesus has with the authorities. But at the same time, when we look at them individually, they're kind of pointing to different things or different uh, subjects. So we'll read this one tonight and, and make some explanation. I'll read it out of the NIV to start with. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Verse 21. Again, continuing, but each of these, the, the, the wedding right here, and then these next two examples, all point to three, in a sense, different things, but they're pointing towards a, uh, a subject that Jesus is addressing, and that is, this is not the same as the old. This is something completely new. So chapter, verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, if he does, the new piece will, be, will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. So what you see right there is, is in this answer, the question is about fasting. And we'll go back through this and look at it in the English Standard Version to make some comments. The question is about fasting. Jesus then, and you can see in your text, depending on what kind of text you've got, it is I have red letters in my NIV. I don't have them in the English Standard. Once they ask that, that first question, that first statement, you know, the statement is John's disciples and the Pharisees fast. So some people ask him, how is it that these guys fast, but your disciples don't? And then the rest of this is Jesus answering the question. One is a wedding. Two is the uh, cloth, we'll just say cloth, and three is the wine with the wineskin. And uh, so you just wrap it, and there's no explanation. There's no, no footnotes by Mark. There's no explanation or uh, teaching in it. It's just Jesus making three statements. And so now we're left to try to tie that in. How do these three address this question? Because this was the question. Why are your disciples not fasting? We see them going around and ex interacting with people. You're busy going about teaching, but there's no fasting taking place. And Jesus says, well, consider a wedding. Consider a new patch of cloth on an old garment. And consider wine in the wineskins. And, and that's, it's like, there it is. So what, what is he saying? Uh, as we look at the notes right here, uh, again, I got just some bullet points at the top. I write this down. The f this is the, the third of the five controversies recorded here in Mark chapter 2. The first was Jesus forgave sins as if he were God. And you remember that uh, when, when uh, the paralytic was lowered down in front of Jesus, the, the scribes were there. And uh, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. You know, he came for healing, but Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they were questioning in their hearts. Uh, no one can forgive sins except God, which that was their statement. That was their standard. No one can forgive sins except God, and you just forgave sin. So Jesus is, is, is a, in a sense, presenting himself as God, and they're doubting it because you're blaspheming God. So Jesus says, well, what's easier uh, to say your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? 
And he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man, again, that's his phrase, Son of Man, for the Messiah. It's, it's only used by Jesus, and it has no, in a sense, political, religious meanings to anybody, except that is his kind of a code word for the Messiah in his image, in his eyes of what the Messiah is. If he said Messiah in, 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 in their language, it meant a military leader. Uh, when he says uh, son of man, it just kind of neutralizes it and lets him identify himself. He says, so you may know the son of man has power to forgive sins. Take up your mat and, and go. And all of a sudden he met their criteria for being God. And so by their own admission, he was God. That's the first conflict which proves that Jesus was God. The second was last week when he called Levi. And then uh, Levi had a party or a, a banquet. Uh, and invited all of his tax collector friends and then other quote sinners now these were sinners identified by the scribes as the guests and so jesus dining with them and uh, they're wondering why he was eating with sinners and these tax collectors and basically jesus was a guest but he turns it into the fact that he is now the host inviting them to his banquet and so he goes from being the the guest to being the host of calling them into his banquet or to his kingdom and now comes this right here. Uh, we see you're willing to eat and celebrate and feast with the people, but why are your disciples not fasting? And thus it's going to be asked. Uh, and this is part of this is the arrival of the eschatological plan of salvation. They've been waiting for this. It's been prophesied from the Garden of Eden all the way through the law of Moses, through the prophets. They've been waiting for this Messiah and his coming kingdom, the final work of salvation. And so it is a time of, of joy and celebration. Uh, and this is going to point out right here what this time that Jesus is at right here, uh, it's a time of celebration. It's a wedding. But it is not, and this is going to make it very clear, I think this will, should end or be a very huge part of what do we do with the law of Moses? What do we do with the Old Testament? What do we do with Judaism? as christians and i think these two parables these two illustrations are when he comes with this wedding he is not coming in judaism he is not coming uh to restore or reform israel's religion he's coming with something totally new you can see the cloth with an old garment and the wine with old wineskins. so he's bringing new cloth he's bringing new wine He's bringing a banquet, and they're saying, why aren't you fasting? He says, we're at a banquet. We're at a time of celebration. It's like the old cloth and the new cloth. You can't put them together. It's like the new wine and the old wineskins. You can't put them together. He is in no means picking up where Judaism left off and is going to now just reform it. He's taking that old garment and setting it aside he's taken the old wineskin which served them well setting it aside but he's going to need a new wineskin to handle this new wine uh, the wine is going to be active it's going to be expanding the cloth is going to be fresh and new you need a new garment you need new wineskins this is a time of celebration it's not the same thing as before so this is this these few verses are loaded with uh uh illustrations of ramifications for this right here according to this just quick introductory what do we do with the law of moses it's been set aside to bring it back and try and take christianity and put it into judaism or take christianity as another layer onto the old testament uh 
it's going to destroy both of them. If it be cloth, if it be wine, this is again a time of celebration, which is going to be interesting because uh, a wedding, uh, the groom in the Old Testament, God, the Father, or we'll just say God, was the groom. In this case, we're going to see Jesus is the groom or the bridegroom which again puts him in a position of being equal with god and then we're going to build on this there's too many that sounds like something out of the 60s okay uh, uh again i got those three things written down now looking at this first uh, verse chapter 2 verse 18 in the english standard version uh and i've got the greek underneath it the transliteration the actual greek letters which uh, we're going to use it on one case tonight. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So these are two groups, uh, the Pharisees and John's disciples. And, and again, this is Pharisees and John the Baptist and his disciples were fasting. Now, it's important to realize that they're talking about John the Baptist's disciples fasting. Why don't they say John the Baptist fasting? Because we know from chapter 1, Jesus began his ministry after John the Baptist was put in prison. So no one knows if John the Baptist is fasting or not. Uh, you can think that he was. But they do know that John's disciples, those that followed uh, John the Baptist, were fasting. Now, one of the reasons they're fasting, we could assume, is because John's in prison. So they're going to be fasting uh, for deliverance, for answered prayer. They're seeking God, and we'll talk about some of the reasons they fasted. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were fasting, and uh, they, they could, a serious Pharisee could fast a couple times a week, two times a week uh, they could fast. Now that, that could be a simple uh, like uh, sunrise to sunset fast. There are some fasts that are going to be 24 hours. Uh, but this fast could just be like um, sunrise to sunset fasting. If a, a, a dedicated Pharisee, that was their lifestyle. Now, as we look on the notes, I've got some things written down right here. And this is, this is interesting, first of all. Uh, point one, it says fasting at the time of the Gospels. The Day of Atonement was the only time the law of Moses directed the people to fast. So if you follow the law of Moses, what was laid out from Mount Sinai, there's one day a year the people were to fast and that was all that the law of moses required now that doesn't mean anything else was wrong that just means when you talk about fasting there was just that one time and i've got the references written down there now as time goes on and we're going to we're going to get into this on tuesday night when we're going through zechariah but in zechariah the people come and ask uh zechariah they says are, are should we keep fasting uh, since we're back in Jerusalem because they began fasting while they're in Babylonian captivity and then they kind of get rebuked by Zechariah because you're missing the whole point point. Uh, and so that's another whole subject that Zechariah is going to be addressing the people they wanted to stop fasting because they had began fasting because of the, the destruction of the temple but nonetheless Zechariah 8 19 and 7 verse 7 5 or chapter 7 verse 5 there were four fasts instituted during the post or for the post-exile period when they came back and that was in the fourth fifth seventh and tenth month of the jewish year that was added on by the people when they came out of exile also you know from the book of esther chapter 9 verse 31 uh, there's the festival of purim where the jews were delivered from uh, haman and his uh, pursuit of destroying the jews 
and they had a time of fasting followed by a time of festivities. And so there was the fast associated with Esther that was also instituted. So biblically, you've got one, the Day of Atonement. You've got those four fasts mentioned in Zechariah that deal with the exile, the destruction of the temple, and remembering those. And then again, the one from the book of Esther. Nonetheless, you can see those others were added on, I don't want to say in a sense outside of Scripture, but during the time of the Old Testament. Uh, I mentioned this point, D, some of the Pharisees fasted twice a week. The days were Monday and Thursday. Other reasons for fasting would be mourning a deceased person. Just that would be any time during your your life a person would uh, have a fast. A sorrow and repentance to appease the wrath of God and avoid disaster. That would be another time that are not necessarily mentioned here. But besides, we see it practiced in the Old Testament. When disaster is near, they would uh, go into a time of fasting to pursue God, uh, to indicate their repentance and their desire. Many prophets called for a time of uh, repentance, prayer, and fasting. And fasting would have uh, come along with that. And that would be number three, also page two, to petition God in prayer with fasting. Now, Jesus is not saying anything here uh, against He's not saying anything against fasting. Uh, He's talking here about the time, the time of the fasting. There had to be a a process for it. We know Jesus fasted himself 40 days in the wilderness. So Jesus would would be in support of fasting. But the time is really the essence right here. You've got to be in sync with what God is doing. If God is calling for repentance, uh, a time of fasting. If it's time for you to seek God in prayer, uh, it's a time for fasting. If it's time for you to seek deliverance or guidance, it's a time for fasting. But clearly, what Jesus is going to refer to, this is not one of those times. Um, then point F, I just wrote on the pot top of page 2. John the Baptist had an ascetic lifestyle. It's mentioned in Matthew 11, Luke chapter 7, which, of course, included fasting because it, he was announcing the judgment that was coming on the day of the Lord. Now, with that being said, they ask him why are you not fasting? And Jesus' answer is right here, chapter 2, verse 19. And you've got to remember time. He's not saying, we're done with fasting. We're no longer going to need to fast. Uh, that's, that's legalistic. We're not going to do that because that's part of the law of Moses. And it really, it was only mentioned once on the Day of Atonement. Uh, so he's not going to be criticizing it, but he is talking about the timing. His answer, reading in the English Standard, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. And it, I mean, of course, they could fast. If you're at a wedding, uh, it's, uh, the idea is you cannot fast at a wedding. It seems like that's what it's saying. Well, you certainly could fast at a wedding. You could go to the wedding. Everybody's dressed up and celebrating and dancing. Uh, there's a feast going on. There's drinks. There's, there's food. There's wedding cake. But you're sitting over there in the corner fasting so you could fast but it would be uh strange it would be s-t-r-a-n you don't need to do it why do i do that why do i need to write the word strange on the board so i turn around i don't forget what i'm talking about here is uh again describing some of the things weddings at this time were a major event in the local town if it be a village if it be a, a town uh we know the the wedding that jesus went to in cana where he made wine uh it lasted for seven days, so it'd be, it'd be a, a week long. Uh, virgins that were married for the first time, it would be a week long. If they became a widow, a lady became a widow and had a second wedding, that would be three days. It'd still be a three-day festivity, but not like the first wedding. 
but it would include uh, extravagant events. Uh, weddings included music, laughter, feasting, festivities, wine. And so right here, Jesus is saying that he is at a wedding. His whole ministry is, in a sense, a wedding. It's a celebration. The prophets have been saying this day is coming. Uh, the, the, the seed of the woman, the, the son of David is going to come. And here he is. He's here and he's going around and he's announcing the kingdom, the gospel. This whole book begins, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, when we talk about gospel, that is an indication, that is meaning this is the, the good news, but it's the good news of an emperor being born. It was a celebration of his birthday because on that date that he became the emperor, things were going to be different. There was that time before he was the emperor, but then with the coming of this emperor, the gospel, the good news of this emperor, he was going to do it different. He was going to be the one who brought the joy, the, 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 the pr- productivity, the, the prosperity, the peace. And so with the gospel of Jesus, with his announcing, this was now a new age. Everything would be marked, and it even is today historically marked, from the coming of Christ, there was the time before Christ came, and then there was going to be the time after his arrival. And this was it. It was a wedding. He had arrived, so it was a wedding. So it would be strange if, in, in course, Jesus knows what time it is. The people are, are in flux. They're trying to figure out. There's, they're still in the Old Testament. The Pharisees are still committed to the Old Testament. John is still announcing the coming of the judgment of God, the coming of the day of the Lord. Well, Jesus has come. So the Pharisees, you should recognize, you're the scholars, Jesus is here, join the party. John's disciples, if you're following, and some of Jesus' disciples, like John and Andrew, were disciples of John, and when they saw Jesus, they began to follow. In fact, John introduced them, says, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. So the disciples of John should have recognized what time it was and shifted. So the Pharisees should be following Jesus. John's disciples should be following Jesus. Jesus' disciples are following him, and they're at a wedding. It is the fulfillment of the ages. The Messiah, the Son of Man, as Jesus would call it, is here. So the question really is not, why are your disciples not fasting? Jesus, in a sense, is saying to them, no, the question is, why are you fasting? If you're a Pharisee and you're fasting, what are you fasting for? We're at a wedding I'm here. John's disciples, why are they fasting? If they listened to John, he was going to introduce the Messiah. And here Jesus is. Why are you still fasting remembering John? Why aren't you listening to his teaching and following the Messiah? Uh, Andrew, for example, and John, they both followed. They both left the fasting of John and began to join this wedding celebration that jesus is having so the question is not why are jesus disciples not fasting jesus flips it once again why are you still fasting again jesus is not undermining fasting but at this time if you knew what time it was you would have joined the wedding celebration and got involved with this and we're not fasting now some other things on the notes uh point two fasting at a wedding would be odd Fasting at a wedding would obviously direct attention at the person fasting instead of the wedding that was going on because you'd be over there doing this really strange. Everybody would be like, what is going on over there? Well, they're fasting. It'd be you know, you're drawing attention to the wrong place. And it would be offensive to the host who had prepared so much for the celebration. I mean, all you've got to do 
is just imagine yourself if you've gone to a wedding, if you've been invited to a wedding and you, you go to the ceremony, but I guess you, you know the ceremony is a brief moment, and then you go to the dance, the party, the meal, and you have all the people sitting around, the guests at the tables, but you're, you're, you know, you're sitting over by yourself and you're you know, at a table by yourself and you're not eating, you're doing some kind of you know, prayer or you know, ritual or brought your Bible to pray, uh, it's like, uh, what, what, what is it? That, that would be, it would be offensive. I mean, the br- especially guests would be offended. The bride. I mean, I've been around enough brides to realize that if they are not the center of attention, and they should be. Whenever I've done a wedding, I always tell the bride when we're getting, we're getting ready to do the rehearsal and go over everything, I tell her, even when we're preparing before, and we're writing up the vows and what's going to be said and making plans, I always say, understand, whatever you want is what we're going to do. You know, I mean, within limit because you're the one that is planning this and so if there's something you want you just stay state it and we'll make sure it happens because it's a now imagine going to a wedding with the bride that's got all this preparation has thought about it again i can use tony and i as an example i i, I knew i was going to get married someday i assumed but tony had already planned a lot of the details of the wedding before she even met me. I mean, I think she had her children's names picked out before she met me. I mean, I, I you know, I knew I was going to get married and probably have children, but, you know, I don't know. I'll take care of it when it happens. That was all planned out. So I don't know if that's, I, but I do think that's typical. But imagine how offensive it would be at a wedding, especially with the bride, if you come in and she's got all the table decorations set out. She's picked out all the flowers. Man, she's worried about this. She's planned about this. She's stressed out. And you come in and make a big deal about the fact that you're not going to eat anything because you're fasting. You're not going to participate because you're fasting. You're not even going to join in any of the wedding dances. You're not going to smile in any of the pictures. You're not even going to be in any of the pictures. You're just going to sit over here. It's like it is flat out offensive. And Jesus is saying that very thing. The weddings of this day, in Jesus' day, we talk about, you know, we got rehearsal on, say, Friday night and the wedding on Saturday, and it's the big weekend event, maybe two, three days, and then you got the honeymoon coming after that. But with this, these weddings were seven days, not just the honeymoon, but the party would start and go for seven days. They would run out of wine. Jesus went to the first wedding that's recorded in the Gospels, and they ran out of wine, and he had to multiply wine because they're like, we're running out of wine, and he had to make some more. So it was a long process. So Jesus is not saying something strange or something that's obscure. No one knows what he's talking about. Everyone knows what a wedding looks like, and he's saying we are at a wedding, and uh, we should be celebrating. Uh, point three, I just write again, Jesus not against fasting, but does point out the ridiculous misunderstanding of the timing of a fast at this point in his ministry. I mean, he's really being critical. If you guys are thinking we should be fasting, what are you fasting for? You're, what you're trying to, you want God to manifest something? You want God to appear to you? You want God to tell you his will? Pay attention, kids. God is standing in front of you. You should be having a feast, not a fast to seek God. You should be asking me questions and following me around. In the Old Testament, the imagery, interesting, presented God as the bridegroom and Israel as the bride. Here in Mark, Jesus is the bride, and this is going to be important right here. Jesus, excuse me, not the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom, and his disciples 
are here the friends of the bridegroom. They're the groomsmen. Uh, they are the ones that are, what else did I write down there? They are the friends, the wedding guests. They are the wedding guests. Now again, we could push this maybe too far uh, because we know that the bride, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong as I, as I point this out, the bride is the church. Okay, we, that, that's coming. Paul talks about that. We see that in Revelation. But in this picture right here, and I don't mind if you interrupt me here, uh, we, don't see the, we don't see the bride in this, in this story. Only thing that's mentioned here is the bridegroom and the wedding guests or the friends of the bride or friends of the bridegroom. So basically the disciples. So you've got the bridegroom, Jesus, and the disciples in this story. Does that make sense? Do you see the bride in this story? I mean, we'd have to assume. We're, now we're uh, bringing that in here. But because that's, that kind of is going to come up here later on. Uh, in fact, the next verse. After saying this, can the wedding guests, see the wedding guests, fast? And they're asking, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees uh, fast? He says, can the wedding guests, which I would assume mean his disciples, can the wedding guests, can my disciples fast while the bridegroom or I am here? As long as they, the disciples, the wedding guests, have the bridegroom jesus they cannot fast it would be inappropriate for them to fast and seek god for direction when i'm here they should just stay with me and join the celebration it's my wedding again he's the bridegroom here um verse the very next verse says interestingly and this is an important verse the days will come again the ideal of timing See, this is the right time for the wedding. But the days are coming. There's going to be a time when the bridegroom is taken away from them. That's going to be important. Is The bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. They're going to fast, but not at this time. They're going to fast at another time when the bridegroom is taken away from them and now in the greek that is a verb that is passive it's a passive verb that means he is the bridegroom is not going to go away the bridegroom is going to be taken away by another force by another group by another person the bridegroom is being taken away not by himself and again very strange very strange wedding Usually, if you've got a wedding, say today you go to a wedding, you've got a bride and a groom, they get married, and who leaves? The guests leave, or the bride and the groom leave on their honeymoon. Here, the bridegroom is going to leave the wedding party. The, everyone has come, the guests have all come to the banquet, but he is going to leave, which is uh again the the first time in the book of mark that we see that the ideal of the suffering servant starting to surface it's a party it's a wedding everything's fine but all of a sudden but the day is going to come where they will fast just like the pharisees fast just like on the day of atonement they fast just like the destruction of jerusalem they fast just like john's disciples fast 
my disciples will fast on the day I'm taken away. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, all of a sudden, a wedding, and he's going to be taken away, and then you'll start fasting, which is, again, very prophetic, very revealing. That was the first time I, we could say, and you can check it yourself and look at it, that the Jesus arrest and crucifixion is being forecast by jesus himself i'm at a wedding i'm in control i'm inviting people to my part banquet but there is something going to happen right here where i'm going to be taken away and you're going to need to fast because he's going to be separated from them and that again is a, a clue and so that's I mean these verses have a lot of information in them and i that's what point one on page three this is the first mention of jesus coming suffering it was assumed that the announcement of the coming and kingdom of God was going to be fulfilled in Jesus' generation. It would be assumed. Uh, and all the disciples thought that. And anyone who's following Jesus, this is the long-awaited Messiah. He is here. Uh, John the Baptist has come as the forerunner. He was the Elijah that was to come. This is, we're going to start lighting things up. Things are going to start happening. And then Jesus says, yeah, but I'm going to be taken away. And it, you, you can, we can understand it now exactly, but you can see how confusing it would have been for them. They're following, they don't know exactly where they're going, but they know they're bringing the kingdom of God. They're following the Messiah. And then he says, I will be taken away. Uh, the analogy, uh, again, uh, let me read this. It was, this is a long sentence. I even, when I wrote it, I thought, man, you got to stop. You got to put a period in there somewhere. If it was assumed that the announcement of the coming of the kingdom of God was going to be fulfilled in Jesus' generation, should have had an a, a, a S there, uh, then this analogy put that assumption into question because the bridegroom would be taken from the wedding guest. If they were thinking, right there, that's where Peter and James and John and everyone who's following Jesus, yeah, we're going, Jesus, yeah, no, 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 you'll fast, when I'm taken away from you. What do you mean? Because he's going to say that again, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and be crucified. Peter's going to try to stop that in chapter 8. But he's already telling him, the day is coming where I'm going to be taken from you. And then you're going to need to fast because the wedding's over or the wedding's been set on hold. The bridegroom has gone away. And I, that's why I have point B. This announcement indicates clearly that things were going to be interrupted. Those who opposed Jesus would have their time of victory over him because he's being opposed. This chapter is about Jesus being opposed five times. And right here in the middle of it, they're opposing him, and he's going to be taken away by somebody. Jesus would not be able to stay, but would be forced to leave. The word, and they've got it down there. You can see, I'll look in the Greek, at the, uh, right above it, right above top of page 3. Uh, will come, however, the days when, and there's the word, will have been taken away. The word is aparthei. That's the way it's written. Ar, ar, aparthei. Uh, and that is a word. I've got it written down here in point 1b3. Uh, here is a passive verb in the third person, meaning the bridegroom. And here's, the, here's how it's translated will have been taken away, not by himself, but by some other person, group, or force. So he's at his wedding, but at this wedding, this banquet, he's got to be, he's going to be taken away. All the guests are sitting there eating cake, they're celebrating, they're dancing, and all of a sudden, the main person at the wedding is escorted out. And it's kind of like, where'd he go? Now is going to be the time 
of fasting. Now you're going to have to start seeking God because the bridegroom's love. But he began the kingdom. He's, the wedding has taken place. Where did he go? Well, now we can understand that eschatologically. He's going to have to come back after he finishes wherever he went to. And it's going to look like a victory for those that took him away. He's not going to go away. Jesus will say, I lay down my life and I take it up again. He is in control, obviously. But he will be, even at the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, he said, I could call a legion of angels and deliver myself. He's basically handing himself over to them, but they are aggressively taking him away, doing what God wants him to do. Now, I also have this written down, point two, uh, and again, we don't want to make too much out of this, but when was the bridegroom taken away? And there's two answers to that. When, when will he be taken away? And A, is at his arrest and crucifixion. And B, it could be at his ascension or during the church age. And in a sense, both are right. This one seems right at first, uh, but you're kind of squeezing a lot of pressure on that one event. Because in, this, uh, in uh, Isaiah 53, 8, you see right there, point 2B, Isaiah 53, 8. And I've got it underlined. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. There's, there's the word. And as for his generation, you know, they thought it was going to come, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. For his generation, who considered? They just saw him taken away. And who understood this? That he was being taken away for the sins of his people. But anyway, there's that word taken away. So it's very likely or possible that Jesus is using a phrase right out of Isaiah 53 that I have to be taken away from this wedding because if you read the rest of the verse, I've got to go to take care of the transgressions of the people. But who's going to understand that? You don't even understand what time we're living. You're wondering why I'm not fasting at my wedding. It's like, how are you going to understand that I've got to go away from my wedding to pay for the transgressions of the people? I mean, he's like, it's like three-dimensional chess for him. And the people are saying, well, why aren't you following all these rituals? Uh, so you could say it's right here he was taken away and during his arrest and his crucifixion that's where the disciples would be fasting but i think you've got to push it a little bit further because he is going to be gone uh during this church age oh i put this down too the septuagint the greek translation of that hebrew out of isaiah 53 uses the same word point one there at, uh, in the septuagint the 70 says a-i-r-o arrow which is the same greek word for take away so the the hebrew is translated into the septuagint with ario which is the word that jesus uses with the different you know the the tense and the form of it so again it's, it's pretty clear connection um when you go into when you go into the church during the first century there's not a lot of fasting uh if you you know there's not a lot of fasting as far as in in the the first century it's not like a ritual it pops up you see paul fasting they're seeking god uh but it's not like a, a real ritual thing it's when you get into the second century that's when you start seeing the church establish a fasting pattern usually on a friday it becomes more of a ritual but nonetheless i think after his ascension the disciples including us there's gonna be a time of us fasting because the church is now separated from the groom, the bridegroom. And like I say in point three there, but likely this also is referring to the time of the church, that the church is on earth, including our time, waiting for the bridegroom to return. And the church faces trials, tests, and discipline 
in preparation for Jesus' return. And so Jesus saying, I'm going to be going away, yes, they would be concerned and fasting at his arrest and crucifixion, but even after his ascension, he leaves us in the same condition. He has been taken away. And in both cases, uh, again, I'm not sure how you use the passive. Did he willingly go back into heaven? Did God the Father take him? Uh, It does say in Revelation that he was snatched up into heaven. And again, that would be him being taken. Now, that is talking about the wedding. So there's the timing right here. The first thing is Jesus is at a wedding. It is a time of joy and celebration. No fasting. Everyone that understands should be here. But they are instead over there, somewhere else. The Pharisees are fasting. John's disciples are fasting. You should be here. Wrong thing, wrong place. And then he goes into these two great, this would be number one, these two great illustrations that we, we're familiar with. Uh, and I'll read them now here in the English Standard. No one, I mean, he goes right after that. He goes right into this. He goes like this, as Mark writes it. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. So now you've got an old garment. It's got a tear in it. It's got a hole in it. it it's an old garment, meaning you've worn it, you've used it, it's done its purpose, but now it's worn out. You're going to take this new cloth, it's going to be a mistake. Now, he's using conventional wisdom. He's using common sense. It's a daily occurrence. It's not like you've got to go to college. You've got to do some archaeological research. It's like this is like common sense. It's like, you know, it, this was normal. Think of something common in our day that everybody understands. If you've got old, an old garment and you're going to take some new cloth and sew the patch, this cloth is going to shrink. And when it shrinks... Whatever, however tightly you've sewn it into that garment, it's going to pull away from it and tear the garment at another location. It's going to hold the garment where it's stitched, but it's going to rip it somewhere else, making this old garment even yes, less useful. And this new cloth now is tied into the old garment. It's no longer new. It's now, what, what is it? Now it's a rag. So what we have here, pretty clearly, is the Old Testament, would say the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant, we'll say New Testament, just to say it that way. This is right out of Hebrews. This is what Hebrews is about. And this answers the question. What Jesus is doing, this wedding that Jesus is doing, which is the initiation of the, the plan of salvation. It's, the, it's all coming together. What the prophets have talked about, he's bringing it about. It's not just now a, a type and shadow. It's not like we're waiting it's actually going to happen. It's one thing to have a type and shadow and, and illustrations and images that talk about what's going to happen. But when it actually occurs, when the power is actually released, when the wedding actually happens, you've got something brand new. You've got something that is growing, something dynamic. And if you take this new covenant, this new covenant is not coming to fix the old covenant. It's not coming to fix it. It's coming in fulfillment of it. This said, this was coming. When this comes, this has done its job. You can't take this new and tie it into the old and try and make the new work. You're going to destroy whatever was left of the old garment, and this new cloth is now ruined because 
you've misinterpreted it. You put it in the wrong place. This new cloth should be worn without being attached to the old. You don't put them together. And then I got these things written down. And we're going to repeat it again. He's going to give you two illustrations of this. I just write this down. Point one, everyday common sense knowledge. The old garment cannot be fixed with new cloth patch. The new patch would destroy whatever was left. The destroyed old garment would make the new patch worthless and a waste of time and material. So if a person in the church today is trying to take the New Testament, Jesus' new covenant, and tie it into the old covenant, they are right here, like I wrote down, they're making the New Testament, the new covenant, worthless. If you put in here the new covenant and you say, well, you've got to be circumcised. This is right out of Galatians. You say, well, you've got to be circumcised. You've, it's now worthless. If you say you've got to follow the dietary laws, you're, you're wasting the time you've spent with the new covenant. Or if you're saying we need to follow some kind of ritual, you've wasted this material. This is right out of, I mean, this is not like rocket science. It's the whole book of Galatians. You cannot put the two together. And that's not Paul's teaching. It is Paul's teaching. But he's getting it right here from Jesus talking about the new cloth. It cannot be put in. You need something completely different. Which leads us to the next one. You've got new wine. This is even, in a sense, uh, both of them have their value of pointing something out. But this is even more clear. Uh, let me read that finish point uh, two on the top of page four. The point of this little verse about the old garment with the new patch, to understand and participate in this new pronouncement of the kingdom of God, the old will have to be left behind. Now, we are not saying the Old Testament has no value. I teach the Old Testament. The Old Testament has revelation. It prepares us to understand the New Testament. But you cannot take the New Testament and bind it up into the Old Testament. It stands alone as fulfillment of the Old Covenant. Uh, uh, this does not mean the Old Garment was bad and useless. It doesn't mean the Old Testament was bad or useless. But it does mean you need to stop wearing it and put on the New Garment. You can't be wearing this Old You're no longer in the Old Covenant. That's the book of Hebrews. This is clearly saying the old covenant was passing away and the new covenant would replace it. Any attempt to try to use, fix, or restore the old covenant with the work, the work of Christ or the principles and the doctrines of the new covenant would destroy both the old covenant and destroy the new covenant. If you say, even if you say something like uh, you're, you're saved by faith in Christ, and baptism you've just added we know this you've just added works to faith you're saved by faith not by works once you say you're saved by faith and then you start adding stuff to it you're destroying you're no longer saved by faith you're saved by baptism which is no salvation at all so that is right here the cloth the new cloth cannot be added to anything it has to stand alone and then the next one the very last verse for tonight uh, chapter 2 verse 22 and again, realize, as, as we look at this, I'll grab my Bible here. And I, ju I just want to read this again. Uh, they ask, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are, not fa are fasting, but yours are not? Why are your disciples not fasting, and John's and the Pharisees' disciples are fasting? Jesus answers this way, and it's all in my little Bible here. It's all red letters. 
How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will, be pu- will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And now our last verse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskin will be ruined. No, he pours the new wine into new wineskins. And so in answer to the, deci- uh, the fasting question, one, two, three answers. And you, what he's saying is we've got new wine and you can't put it in old wineskins. You're going to need a new container. You're going to have to put this new wine because it's going to ferment. It's going to give off gases. It's going to build up. It's going to have to have some room to, for f- of flexibility as it begins to develop. And you're going to have to put this in a new container. If you take the gospel message, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, you receive it by faith, and then go back and try and make the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, explain it or teach it or hold to it, you're going to destroy the Old Covenant. You're going to spill the wine, and you, will not even have, you won't even have the New Covenant any longer. And that's, again, here's the notes right here. Uh, point one, this is just another example from everyday uh, common sense. Old wineskins cannot be used with new wine because the old wineskins have already, they were fresh and, and new wine was put into it. And as the wine fermented, the, the, the wineskins expanded and stretched out. They held the wine. The wine was used. And now the wineskin is old. The wine's been used. If you take more wine, new wine, and put it in the old wineskin and expect it to expand again, it's already received its level of revelation. You expect it to receive more, it's going to tear. and it's, it's only designed to reveal what was put in it the first time. You can't put the New Testament in the old covenant and expect it to expand. It, it's going to break. It's not gonna, it cannot hold the glory of the New Testament. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, we have not just a new covenant, a new priesthood, a new sacrifice. We've got a better covenant, a better priest, a better sacrifice. We have better promises. And those better promises do not fit in. It's a complete, especially yesterday we were talking in, on church. Uh, you've, when it says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, you have, come, you have not come to Mount Sinai where there's fire and judgment and a voice is speaking that, that the people didn't want to hear anymore. No, you've come to Mount Zion, New Jerusalem, where there's angels have gathered in festivity where the souls of righteous men have been made perfect and are standing before God, the judge of all men, in joyful assembly. On Mount Sinai, they were just afraid to even look at God, hear God. They didn't want to hear His voice. Where in the New Covenant, they're in joyful assembly celebrating. So it's like, how can you take the new covenant and even go back over here? There, there are two, this was important. This was useful. But it's not, you can't take this. It can't, Mount Sinai cannot handle the new Jerusalem. And so again, another example of everyday common use, old wineskin cannot be used in new wine. The old wineskins have already expanded, and if forced to expand again, will be destroyed while the new wine is spilled and wasted. New wine demands a new, fresh wineskin, and it is ridiculous in the natural world to force new wine into old wineskins. I mean, it, I mean, for us, again, we don't do this practice, but this was their way they understood. We can understand it. If you've got a wineskin that's already been used, you cannot put new wine. It, it, it just doesn't work, and no one would even do it. So why would you do it? with the new covenant and the point is the old covenant had served its purpose well leave it alone do not destroy it by forcing it to hold teach and empower the new covenant which it cannot handle 
the new covenant needs an entirely new container that is ready to handle to the, the expanding nature of the new covenant. Uh, so you, to have the new covenant, you need a new container for it. Combining the old covenant and the new covenant will destroy them both. The old covenant will be stretched beyond recognition if forced to explain and provide insight into the new covenant. If all you're doing is using the old covenant to explain the revelation of the new covenant, it can't handle it. It cannot see and explain the revelation. You've got to see it by the Spirit of God. Uh, The new covenant will be wasted and useless if if forced into the restraints of the old covenant. For example, you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ if you keep the Sabbath. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ if you are circumcised. Well, that doesn't work. And and Paul explains that in the book of of Galatians. And so there we have the the third conflict. If you want to call it a conflict, it, it looks like more like a question. It doesn't come across as as antagonistic uh except that uh because i think they're asking you know why are these people fasting and you're not and jesus is very clearly uh they shouldn't be fasting they should be over here at the wedding that's where they were invited they were all invited to my wedding and they're not coming they're 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 stuck over here again timing being the issue and he gives them an explanation which i think shows us uh quite a bit of information there especially including with the wedding of him being taken away there being a time period where he's going to be absent uh them waiting for his return and again very clearly you can't combine the new testament with the old testament or the new old new covenant with the old covenant and that's going to lead us to next week when we start talking about uh the sabbath chapter uh, 2 verse 23 Following on this, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are, you, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so they're walking, and as they're moving, they're walking again, the, apparently the correct distance that you can walk on a Sabbath, but they're picking some grain and then grinding it in their hand, which they called it, you know, uh, you're, you're harvesting and milling grain and eating it, just kind of, you know, like grabbing an apple off a tree. And there's, ah, ah, you're working, you're harvesting grain. And he goes, he's going to explain it. It's like, wait, that's, that's not your intention. Now, remember, there's going to be the law of Moses, which it appears Jesus is very purposefully, purposefully fulfilling. Even when he healed the leper, he gave him, according to the law of Moses, go to the temple. Don't go talk to people. Go fulfill the vow, like it says in the law of Moses. So he's fulfilling the law of Moses. But they've added so many uh, guardrails to the law, uh, trying to protect the law, that now they've got the rules of men that are protecting it, and they're more committed to the laws of men that are protecting the revelation than actually understanding the revelation. So when we see Jesus violating the law of Moses... He's not violating the law of Moses. He may be in violation of their border, their guardrails they put around it because he actually understands the realm. You can put guardrails, and this is, this is going to be true for Christian parents today, is you want your children to understand the, the revelation of the Word of God, but instead of teaching them the Word of God and having it explained and having them deal with the truth of the Word of God, we just simply say, ah, we kind of know what it means. And they put a bunch of guardrails up around it so that all, that all the kids see is just these rules and regulations and structure 
And so if they follow that, they're a Christian. Well, no, you're only a Christian if you understand the revelation, the truth of Jesus Christ's faith in him, who he is, and now you're saved, and now you begin to grow, and you'll provide the real, real capacity, the real character of Christ will be added to your life. But if you add the, the, the guardrails first with no revelation, it becomes stagnant, it becomes a religion. It's like you throw it off and you don't miss anything. But if you know the truth, you will, in a sense, I don't want to say build your own guardrails, but you'll begin to grow and produce what we call the fruit of the Spirit, which is coming from the seed of the new life that you have. So you want the revelation. A lot of times we destroy it because we put guardrails up and we teach the guardrails, the hard shell around it, and we never get to the fruit of the Word of God. My advice would be throw off the guardrails and teach the Word of God and let the seeds fall where they will, let the seeds produce the fruit of the spirit which is actually the real guardrails you want is the nature of jesus christ in your child's life so anyway that's that connection right there i will pray and we'll come back next week and and do some more father do thank you again for the chance to look into these things we ask that we would understand them that we'd apply them to our lives that we ourselves would not get ourselves stuck in some kind of a religious trap or miss the timing that God has called us to wherever we are at in our lives, that we would follow Jesus Christ, we'd follow the Spirit, and we'd be obedient to the Word. We do thank you for the seed that is planted in our life and ask that it would produce fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for being here.